in us and through us. Thank you for the fact that we can come together every Sunday and be refreshed by your spirit. Thank you that we can come together as a family and be fed by you, Lord. This is your word. Everything I say reflect the truths of your word, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, this has been our family element week. We had Wayne Rice here uh, on Tuesday and, and Wednesday, and we talked about families. But I wanted to bookend that conference talking about what I consider an essential quality of not only an individual believer's following Christ, but a family who wants to follow Christ. And the more I've been counseling families over the years, the more I have found that forgiveness is an essential quality for the follower of Jesus Christ. We need to know how to forgive and why we forgive. What's the foundation of the believer for forgiveness? And last week we began that study. We talked about forgiveness as a powerful quality for building strong families and becomes an essential component in the life of a true follower of Christ. You cannot be a follower of Christ and not be a forgiver. It can't do it. You have to forgive like Jesus. Last week we looked at passages from Genesis 37 through 50 looking at the life of Joseph and how Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers because they hated him. Went down to Egypt, bought by the captain of the Armies of Pharaoh, a man by the name of Potiphar, he was a faithful servant. God was blessing him, but then falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, thrown into prison. There he would remain for a number of years until the Pharaoh had dreams that he could not understand. And the cupbearer and the baker, and I shared this with you last week, uh, had dreams as well in prison. Joseph interpreted them correctly, and the cupbearer finally said, Hey, there's a guy in prison who can interpret dreams. Joseph came and did that, interpreted the Pharaoh's dream, and became second in command in all of Egypt. And uh, last week we challenged you to remember that in every hurt or trial, God is working out his greater purpose. Lesser people would have been bitter towards God and others. Lesser people would have turned their back on God and others around them. But that's not the story of Joseph. He was ultimately reunited after this amazing story, sold into slavery, slave in Egypt for 10 years, falsely accused, in prison for anywhere from three to five years. At the age of 30, God placed him second in command in the most powerful nation on earth. At the age of 37, maybe 38, reunited with his family, he could have said the word and killed the brothers who stood before him in Egypt seeking to buy food from Joseph. Joseph was second in command in control of all the food stocks of Egypt. But he didn't do that. He forgave his brothers, even after being sold into slavery, leaving his family and heading down to Egypt as a slave. Uh, We talked about Joseph's downward slide, how he had these amazing uh, dreams and, and God had blessed him with these dreams, but his father also had expressed his love to Joseph with a coat of many colors, but his brothers hated him. He had these amazing dreams and yet sold into slavery. He gained Potiphar's trust but was falsely accused and thrown into prison. Things kept getting worse. It's a wonderful reminder to us that if Joseph can go through all of that and forgive his brothers... It's a great example to us to forgive as well. 
Sometimes I'll say to people, well, Jesus, even on the cross, said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And people will say to me, yeah, that's Jesus. I'm not Jesus. Well, this is Joseph, a person just like you and me, and was able to forgive. We talked about the fact that trials and hurts will come to every person and family, yet our calling is to obey the Lord through the trials. The outcome is to grow stronger in our walk and more dependent upon the Lord. See, if you focus on the powers of this world and the circumstances around you, they can seem so big. Like for Joseph, the power of Pharaoh what must have been so big, so great. But when you begin to step back and see the greater picture, there is another person who's working out his plan, and that person is God. He's working out his plan in this world, and he's working out his plan in you. We have to see that as believers. We have to realize there's a God who is at work. And he's at work in your life every single day. So like Joseph, who said, uh, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, brothers, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph saw God at work. Genesis 45, 80 even goes as far as to say this. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And then in Genesis 50, as he's reunited with his brothers, we talked about this. Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me. See, there are probably people in your life that at some point meant evil against you. But God meant it for good. God was working out his plan. It reminds us of a very familiar verse that you probably know. God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And I mentioned last week, I think in this service, that... uh, Even if a a deadly illness overtook me, a deadly cancer, uh, people might say, well, well, you're a pastor. Shouldn't God be working this out for good? Absolutely he is. If I had a cancer that ultimately ended my life, my life doesn't end in this physical life. Uh, I have this amazing plan that God has given all of us who believe in him, who love him, that we leave this life and go to eternal life. Forever and ever with him. The ultimate victory is in Christ. So we need to cultivate a heart of forgiveness even before the hurt comes. How do we do that? We do that by understanding the forgiveness that we have received from God. God is a perfect justice maker. Much better than I am. For me to usurp the authority of God and to exact revenge on someone or my version of justice on someone is not God's plan. See, forgiveness is this, acting with compassion and love towards another person. You, say, you might say, well, Mel, I don't feel like forgiving someone. Well, this is what I have found in my life. And I have read this in many other studies as well and, and heard this from other testimonies. You can act in love and forgiveness towards someone that has wronged you. Act with compassion toward that person. And you will find that the feelings will come. I had a woman in my previous church who came to me and said, Mel, uh, there is a man that, that did a terrible thing to me and my family. He murdered my daughter. My daughter was killed by him. And I am holding this hate and bitterness in my heart. He's in prison, but I'm holding this hate and bitterness in my heart. And I said, man, I can't even imagine what that must be like, how hurtful that must be. 
But I said, can you at least do this? Pray that God would fill your life with his love and a realization of his forgiveness for you. Pray that that God would fill your life with his forgiveness and his love. And she left, and about a month or two later, she came back with a smile on her face and said, no, I did what you said. And I've come to the place where I've forgiven that man, and I feel so free in my spirit. See, forgiveness is not a poison that you dispense to others who have wronged you. A lack of forgiveness and bitterness is not a poison that you give out. Holding bitterness towards someone doesn't really impact the people around you that have wronged you. What it does is it poisons you. It's the one poison you drink yourself and it destroys you. I could give you study after study of the negative impact of unforgiveness, of the negative impact on you by holding bitterness and vengeful thoughts in your heart. Studies have shown again and again how it impacts someone not only emotionally in a negative way, but physically. Where people have succumbed to diseases and illnesses and are people who do not forgive. See, God has designed us in a special way. He knows us better than anyone. And when he tells us that we should forgive, then we ought to follow that. We ought to follow God's plan. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it just comes automatically. That's not the way it happens. But when we fully understand what Jesus Christ has done for us, then that forgiveness will come. See, forgiveness is required for the believer. It's what we talked about last week, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint complaint against another, forgiving that person. That's, That's where we ended last week. I want to continue. Never avenge yourselves, the Bible says. Never. We're not to give in to a root of bitterness, it says in Hebrews 12, 15, which can spring up in your life and cause trouble. And I think I did get to this point last week with this service. I didn't with the other two. But that root of bitterness can wrap around your heart and calcify your heart. And I've met people like that who've been ruined by a root of bitterness. And with that in mind, I want to give you some important reminders. Don't let pride keep you from admitting your error. Don't let pride keep you from admitting your error. If you've wronged someone, you ought to admit it. If you're the one who's been wronged, and you have had at least even a little part in that misunderstanding, or maybe the anger that a person felt against you and did this wrong against you, be humble enough to say, you know what? You wronged me, but I can understand how you misinterpreted maybe something I said. I, I shouldn't have said it that way. I, I shouldn't have done it that way. I'll take ownership of that. I will humble myself and bring about restoration because of the love and forgiveness that God desires to bring about in our lives. See, it takes a, 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 a huge work of the Lord for someone to come and say, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Now, I personally believe that you should forgive a person even before they come to you and ask for it. Look at Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He didn't get anyone who was nailing him to the cross to come to him and say, Hey, Jesus, sorry about this. I really feel badly about it. Well, then I forgive you, but not the other one. See, 
What Jesus models for us is a person that's willing to forgive even before the person that wronged you or offended you comes to you and asks you for forgiveness. Can you imagine all of the hurt and bitterness and anger and hatred that would be stored up in your life if you held it until people came and asked for an apology, for, for, for forgiveness. They gave you an apology and asked for forgiveness. Can you imagine how much hurt that would be in your life? How much hate there would be? Because many people will never come and ask for forgiveness. They'll never apologize. But we're to forgive. Let go of the hurt. Let go of the bitterness. Leave it with the Lord. Let go of the hurt. That's such a powerful truth for the life of a believer. Don't take advantage of someone who is forgiving. If you meet a person who really reflects the love and forgiveness of Christ, don't take advantage of that person. It's another important reminder. What we should do is when we are forgiven, we ought to say, what can I learn from this situation? How can I avoid hurting someone like that again? What quality in my life needs to change to be more Christ-like? I hope we all have that attitude. Not only to receive forgiveness, but learn from it as well. See, not only is uh, forgiveness required for the believer, forgiveness is required regardless of their attitude. Please don't get caught up in this destructive habit of saying, I'll only forgive when they ask for forgiveness. When they come from, to me and ask for it. That's destructive. Matthew 6.15 says this, But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Why? Because you're living in a state of unforgiveness. How can God forgive you for your lack of of forgiveness when you're living in a state of unforgiveness. And I think I've talked in the past about the fact that there are two types of forgiveness that we experience with the Lord. There's a legal forgiveness. That legal forgiveness says, hey, I have been forgiven past, present, and future sins. All my sins nailed to the cross. But there's a relational forgiveness that we need to monitor every day between God the Father and us. An example I have used in the past is if I'd noticed my eldest daughter sneaking over to my wallet and pulling out a $20 bill and, and looking around and taking it and putting it in her pocket and stealing that money from my wallet, she's still my daughter. I still love her. But there is a barrier now between me and her because I know she has stolen from me. And until there is a reconciliation, a restoration, that relational barrier will be there. When she says, Dad, oh man, I, I realize I stole from you. Now, not in my heart, I want to already not hold hate or bitterness toward her, right? I don't want to hate her for that. But there's something that needs to be dealt with. There is a relational barrier that is freed up when we make it right. When she comes and says, Dad, I stole from you. And I say, hey, I've already forgiven you. But what you did was wrong. It's the same way with our Heavenly Father. All of our sins, past, present, and future, forgiven. 
But when we are walking in a state of rebellion against God, refusing to forgive, allowing bitterness to eat away at our, our lives, it impacts our relationship with our Father and needs to be dealt with. That's a relational forgiveness that we need. See, forgiveness comes most easily when we recognize our own sin. When we recognize how easily we fall into sin. What I have found is people that refuse to forgive have, have an attitude of pride about them. They would never ever do what that person did. Well, maybe not exactly the same thing, but you've done things like it. That's the principle in Romans 2. Therefore, you have no excuse. Oh man, every one of you who judges for impassing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, ju- you the judge, practice the very same things. I've had people come to me and say, well, I haven't sinned because I don't agree with the Bible. I don't believe what the Bible says as the standard for living. Well, Romans 2 would basically say, and Paul's argument in Romans is this, well, even if you reject God's standard, you're a sinner by your own standard. The things you call out as wrong in the lives of others, you have done yourself. So what helps us to be forgiving in our marriages, in our families, with our friends, is to recognize our own sin, how frequently we sin. See, and it's all under the cross. Love is the motivation. Love is what sent Jesus to the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So Ephesians 4.15 says this, speaking the truth in love. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. See, our motivation ought to be, God, fill my life with your love. Push out all the hatred. And when you do that, when God's love fills up your heart, all of the hatred, all of the bitterness, all of that anger, it just leaves. Because your life has been filled up with God's love. That's what God is looking for in all of us. We should never hold an attitude of bitterness or revenge against anyone else. See, love is the motivation. Humility, not pride, is the attitude that we're to have. We humbly recognize our own sin and realize the wrong that that person committed against me, I've done that to others as well or something very much like it. We practice the very same things. And when we realize that, we're ready to forgive. I remember uh, my wife one time went to a Christian bookstore and she was in a hurry and she, um, she parked in front of the store just to run in. She'd order the book. She was going to run in and pick them up. Well, she parked in front of the Christian bookstore, not in a normal parking place, and she ran into the Christian bookstore to get this package of books that had been delivered to the bookstore and they, didn't, they couldn't find it. They weren't sure where it was in the back room. They go check. And in the meantime, a police officer had come by Saw her car parked in front of the store and gave her a ticket. I said, honey, come on, can't you just park in a normal parking place and not get a parking ticket? She was about a $30 ticket. Well, that same week, I went to visit someone in a hospital. And I parked across the street from the hospital because I couldn't find any parking in the parking lot. This was out in Chicago. Couldn't find any parking in the parking lot of the hospital. I parked across the street in the parking lot of a shopping center. And I did not notice that there was a sign that said, no hospital parking. When I went to the hospital, I came back, I found out my car was gone. This taxi cab 
drove up and said to me, are you looking for your car? And I said, yes. He said, a tow truck just towed it away. I said, how much is that to get it out? I don't know, but you're going to have to pay a parking fine, you're going to have to pay a tow fee, and you're going to have to pay a storage fee at the place they towed it to. So my wife's $30 parking ticket looked minuscule compared to the $180 ticket I did, right? So all of a sudden, I was the major offender. I did the same thing. And I've had a few parking tickets here in California as well, down by the beach where I parked. Can you believe it? I backed into a parking space at the beach and they gave me a ticket. You can't do that. So I've had a few parking tickets here as well. We do the same thing. When we realize our own sin, it helps us to forgive those around us. Forgiveness and restoration are always the goal. By the way, that is the goal, to restore. Now, there may be a process involved. There may be some changes that need to be made. Uh, I I won't do this anymore. I understand how that hurts you. I'm going to put a little boundary in my life to make sure that hurt doesn't happen again in our marriage or in our friendship or in our family. Constructive steps to avoid that hurt again. But restoration is always the goal. Here's what the Bible says. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So that is key. And Christ is the one who's glorified. See, when we forgive one another in the church, Christ is glorified. If we divide in the church... The testimony of Christ is damaged in the community. If we are a church that knows that, hey, in our church family, when someone wrongs me, I will have a heart of forgiveness. I'm not going to go around and gossip about that person. I'm not going to go put them down. I'm not going to say negative things about that person to others. I will go directly to that person. We'll talk about that in a second. And not gossip. That's what the Bible says. That's what God wants us to do. Not gossip, not talk badly about others. And if you hear gossip, you should stop the person and say, you know what, you need to go directly to that person and talk. To- don't, please don't share that with me. I'm not part of this solution. I don't want to become part of the problem. You're telling me I have no need to hear this. You go directly to that person. Do what God's word says. Do it. Just do it. There was a large group of people at an advertising campaign. And uh, he said, you know, I'm just going to call, the speaker said, I'm just going to call out some, some phrases and you tell me what company, uh, what company did it. And so he called out, just do it. And yeah, it should have been Nike, but someone uh, called out from the back, my mother told me to, that's my mother, just do it. Clean your room, just do it. See, that's what God tells us. Just do it. Do what God's word tells us to do. Here's the next thing. Forgiveness involves relational forgetfulness. Now, I know as well as anyone here that when someone wrongs you, you'll never fully forget the wrong. It will always be there. But you act in relational forgetfulness. The memory becomes fainter and dimmer over time. It's still there. But a heart of forgiveness says, I'm going to act as if that did not occur. I'm going to act in relational forgetfulness. Genesis 41, Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. 
Joseph's firstborn son was Manasseh, for he said, God has made me what? Forget all my hardship. Now, he didn't forget it in the sense of he couldn't remember it. But he has moved beyond it. He's not holding on to the hate or the bitterness. He's treating his brothers as if it never happened. He has made me forget all my hardships. See, that's what our goal should be, to act in relational forgetfulness. I love how Joseph calls his brothers near to him. Come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. Here's the third thing I want you to remember. It's this. Remember how destructive unforgiveness can be. How destructive unforgiveness can be. Matthew 18. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew 18. Uh, First book of the New Testament, Matthew 18. We're going to turn to verse 21. Matthew 18, 21, it says this, Then Peter came up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Now, now here's what you need to know. The religious teaching of that day, according to the Hebrews, was that you should forgive someone up to three times. If that offense occurred a fourth time, you no longer had an obligation to forgive that person and you could reject. So when Jesus hears from Peter, Peter saying, Lord, should I forgive my brother seven times? Peter probably thought, man, I am going way over the top. I am a power forgiver. I'm going to forgive my brother seven times. The teaching of the day was three and at the fourth, reject that person. You've heard what Jesus has said, I'm sure. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. So did Peter walk away thinking, okay, I've got to start counting really high now. And when I get to, you know, 70 times seven, when I get to that number, then I can start hating my brother. No, of course not. The principle here is Jesus saying, don't even count. Don't even count. Now, again, it doesn't mean if that offense occurs again and again, you can't take steps to make sure it doesn't happen again or at least prevent it from happening again, that you can't have relational boundaries saying we're not going to do this and I'm not going to do that, and if we avoid doing those things, that hurt won't happen again. But to have a heart of forgiveness. See, Peter had asked him up to seven times, See, the religious teaching was, oh, yeah, if you do three times, you're, you're a power forgiver. Jesus says you must forgive and not count to have that heart of forgiveness. And then he goes on and gives this parable. Look at it. It says this, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a servant who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. So a king wished to settle his accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. See, here's the principle. There was a servant who owed a king a debt that in today's dollars would have been $6 billion. A massive debt he could never pay. Then says this, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me, I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave 
him the debt. But when the same servant went out and he found another servant who owed him a hundred denarii. So then he go that same servant who's been forgiven finds another servant who owes him about $12,000 in today, today's dollars. Uh, certainly amount that could have been repaid. If you owed someone $12,000 in today's dollars, you would say, yeah, I can repay that. Over time, I can make good on that. And seizing him, the same servant who had been forgiven this massive debt began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he paid the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported this to their master, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned this same servant and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And how should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you who does not forgive your brother from your heart. So the reality is this. This this parable is very clear. We have been forgiven a massive debt. How can we ever hold bitterness and anger and hatred towards someone else, realizing how great the debt is that we've been forgiven? See, this same servant who was forgiven the massive debt threw his fellow servant into prison. Who is that king? That king is God. Who is the servant that refused to forgive? It's me when I hold bitterness and anger and hatred and unforgiveness in my heart. We cannot be like that and be a follower of Christ. Whoever that offender is, we should forgive. See, ultimately, like I said before, unforgiveness will destroy our ongoing daily relationship with God. There will be a wall between us. Our fellowship will be broken if we hold this sin in our heart. It destroys our relationship with the offender. Rather than having that relationship restored, it destroys it. And I believe God's process for restoration is very simple. It's in Matthew 18, the same chapter. Jesus talks about this. He says this, if you have a problem against a brother, you're to go to that person. Look at verse 15. If anyone sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him. Step number one. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. It's a wonderful thing. You haven't destroyed that relationship. But if he does not listen, take one or two brothers. Here's step two. You and a witness go to the offender. And try to make it right. You take along another person in love and say, hey, we really need to make this right. This offense continues. It's going on. If that doesn't work, the Bible's very clear. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Step three, take it to the elders of the church. There's a sin going on in the church. I've gone to him directly. It still continues. I've gone to him with a witness. It still continues. I've gone to that person now. This will be a third time coming to you as the church leaders to deal with it and make it right. So that's the biblical model of how we are to bring about restoration. See, if we hold unforgiveness in our heart, it destroys the relationship of people around you. 
people see what's happening. It begins to destroy other relationships. They see the hate in your heart. And then ultimately, I believe it destroys you. It destroys you because it fills up your life with this hatred and bitterness. See, here's the reality. Because Joseph relinquishes the need to know why. He gives up this whole thing about, I got to make it right. I got to get revenge on my brothers. Uh, I don't need to know in the midst of my hurt why God is doing this. Think of him in prison. He probably was, God, what is going on? But he doesn't allow that to negatively impact his life. There's a song that uh, I have grown to love over the years. I want to play a video. It's from an animated movie called Joseph, King of Dreams. There's one song that I have grown to love, and every time I hear it, it touches my heart. And the whole point of the song is, Joseph is in prison. He could have given in to hatred and bitterness, but he didn't. And as you watch this video, you'll see Joseph flash back to all the moments of hurt in his life. But this song is powerful. The the whole principle is this, God, you know better than I do. You know the way I should take. And even though I don't fully understand what's going on in my life here in prison, I will follow you and do it your way. Let's watch this video and then I'll come up and close in a word of prayer. And just listen to the words of this song as Joseph recounts his past. I thought I did what's right I thought I had the answers I thought I chose the surest road But that road brought me here So I put up a fight And told you how to help me Now just when I have given up The truth is coming clear You to know why for you 
know so much about that song I love, and I've sung it to myself so many times over the years. God, you know better than I. These situations that we face in this life, they're hurtful, but we've been told to forgive. God, you know better than I. God, you're a much better justice maker than I am. You know better than I. The hardships that we go through, God, you're working out your plan. You know better than I do. You're an awesome God. And I want to challenge us all to be people of forgiveness. Forgive our spouses. Forgive our kids. Yes, take the steps needed to make the relationship even stronger and better. Forgive others around you, not to hold hatred or bitterness, but to reflect the true love of God in everything we do, to allow Him to change us, to be more and more like Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, the words of that song are, are so powerful and reflects your word. You know so much better than we do. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And Joseph, in the midst of his trials, didn't understand fully what your plan was, but at the end he could look back and see that you were at work the whole time. Lord, help us have the faith to believe that we will experience that same moment at some point, whether it's in this life or the next, knowing that you were in control the whole time. God, help us to obey you in the midst of our trials. Lord, we love you today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing.